Hi, everyone, and welcome to Procure Pulse, the managed services podcast that provides you with current trends, best practices, and the latest supply chain news to help you stay informed. And I'd like to invite you to email us with questions at info at conductive.com or connect with us on LinkedIn by following Conductive or on Twitter at Conductive Inc. Thanks so much for joining us today. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to Procure Pulse. My name is Nancy Daniels. I'm your host for today's episode. I lead product development and user experience at Conductive. And today I'm thrilled to dive into a topic that is both top of mind and very meaningful to me and my team. I am joined by Joe Machicote, who is the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer at Premier. We're gonna discuss how organizations can address this issue for both internal and external workforce. So hi and welcome, Joe. Hi, Nancy. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can we start off by just learning a little bit about your background and how did you get into and start working in the diversity space? Sure, absolutely. Well, um, I started working for Premier about nine months ago. And uh, but prior to that, I have 30 years experience in human resources. And um, the first 10 year was first 10 years of, of my HR experience was working in all of the different areas of, uh, of HR. I originally started in training development. And, um, and as I grew, I took on more and more responsibility until I got into leadership. Um, so I've been doing diversity work for about 22 years, and I always did it through the lens of human resources and the way that I led. And where my passion for diversity and inclusion comes into play is 10 years prior to, uh, to getting into HR, I was in operations. I was an operator. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and in dining services. So, oh, uh, so I started in the back of the house in the kitchen and then moved to the front of the house because they thought that's where my personality needed to be. But the one thing that I always did was saw people for the value that they brought to work. And no matter where they were, in in the in the chain, if you will, in the hierarchy, their job was just as important and sometimes even more important than the senior most um, you know leader that was uh, that was in my unit. So the president of our organization noticed what I was doing and realized that people stayed. They woke up in the morning and they came to work because they liked what they were doing. and they understood their roles and the importance to the rest of the team in a big way. So he asked me how I did it. And I said, well, you know, I treat people the way I would want to be treated at work. I had enough experiences with bad leaders that I said, I will never do that. So that, that has built the passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, because it's really about leaders starting and creating a great workplace environment for their employees to come to work. Totally. That's that's amazing. Nice, great story. Um, before we get into it, I think there's some confusion or lack of understanding about just the difference between those terms, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Often people don't maybe understand the difference. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. And, you know, and it's interesting because confusion allows us to, you know, when we don't know what things are, we make up a story in our head about what it is. And then we look for evidence to support the, st- the stories that we made up in our head. So w- when I look at Premier and, uh, and when I look at organizations and our culture in general, when I think about diversity, diversity is about all the ways we're alike and all the ways that we're different. We're diverse. If you have a diverse set of something, you have things that are different. 
Um, with humans, though, we start with humanity, which is all of the ways that we are alike. That when diversity comes into play, all those ways that we're different, you know, we all start with an X and Y chromosome. We all have red blood. We all fit into the human category. Where we start to separate is where we were born, how we were socialized, uh, what our experience have been, the things that we learned, who we grow up with, what are our outside influences. And then you get into religion, you know, culture, uh, race, ethnicity, gender, and those are all of the things that make us different. But I think it's really important to understand because sometimes, you know, I'll hear people talk about, you know, uh, we should just understand the humanity. Well, why not both? Why not understand the humanity and the difference in cultures that make us so rich as human beings and use that difference and leverage that difference? So that's diversity. Equity, the way that I like to explain that is the journey to equality. And I'll give an example. I have four children. And if one of my, if they're all outside playing and one of those four children falls down and scrapes a knee, at that moment, I have to go and I have to pick up that child and give that child attention and take care of that, um, that individual from a health equity perspective, right? And I love mm -hmm. talking about health equity because that's what we do. So it's my job to bring that child back up to the level of health that the other three children are enjoying. That is equity. So what equity says is I have to, I have to focus on the greatest need. It doesn't mean that I don't love the other three children. I love them equally. But for right now, I have to focus on this one. Right now, I have to pay attention to that individual and bring that person to a level of equality with the others. Now, if I just wanted to say, well, all things should be equal, well, if one falls down, I'll just throw all four of them a Band-Aid, right? And say, hey, mm -hmm. you're on your own. Even though you don't need it, here you go. Here, this is for you. So that's the way I explain equity. Equity is about taking care of the one with the most need at the time they need it in order to bring a level of equality for all four mm -hmm. of my children. Um, so the... Um, the next one is inclusion, and inclusion is, inclusion is about creating an environment where humanity and diversity come together. That's the why not both question, right? We're humans and we're diverse. We don't have to look at either or, it's both and. So, you know, I, I like to say we're not a great company in spite of our differences. We're a great company because of our difference. It's about claiming and caring for one's own identity, needs, and beliefs without degrading someone else's in the process, right? So that's inclusion. All of those three things together creates the environment of belonging. And when someone feels like they belong someplace and they're valued for who they are and what they bring, they feel connected to the work they do. They build relationships with the people that they work with. It makes it hard to leave and it makes it hard to do a bad job. So, you know, why shouldn't all of our goals should be to create an environment of belonging by bringing diversity, the equity, and the inclusion all together so that we create that environment where people can be their best selves? Wow, that's great. Clearly, Premier found a perfect person to, to lead this internally at our Thank company. Um, in your, beyond the internal concerns about uh, premier and building the culture, a, a DEI culture internally. How do you see, you know, just being a leader in, in the industry, how do you see it from our member 
and customer's perspective. Are they grappling with these things as well? And how, how, how do you define sort of the pulse of where this is right now? Yeah, I, I think every organization is grappling with all of this right now. You know, when I think about what the impact is of, um, and I'm, I'm going to shorten it, DE&I, right? Mm -hmm. um, the impact on businesses today, I will give you three words. It's talent, talent, and talent. And, you know, COVID has ripped the Band-Aid off on a number of different things. And, you know, and what we're finding right now is that the, it's not even just a war for talent. It's, uh, it's finding talent in a post-pandemic world. And, and we're not, honestly, we're not even post-pandemic. We're just in a different stage of the pandemic. Um, but it is really impacting people's behaviors, workplace behaviors, and, and everything else. I think um, employers are going to be hard-pressed to find the uh, talent that, you know, people right now are shopping for what they want. You know, there's this whole big debate about do we return to the office or don't we? I don't like saying return to work because quite frankly, everyone that has had a job has been working. Um, but it's more returning to the, the workplace, right? Not just returning to work. They're returning to the workplace, their offices and so on. And there's there's huge um, you know there's huge uh, thoughts about that both mm -hmm. on the employee perspective as well as the employer perspective. So I think that's where the the impact is coming in. It's going to be all about talent and how you find uh, the right talent and how you keep the talent you have. So it makes it very interesting when you think about when you you pivot a little bit and think about the works the workspace that we are in particularly conductive, which is about purchase services. So it is the workforce that is beyond the internal workforce. It's your external workforce. So there's, I think, more of a challenge, but also exciting opportunity. Like how, it's, a, it's a great opportunity to reach out and to find diverse suppliers or to find local suppliers, because yeah. it's not just about what's going on internally, but it is, you know, the ex, external because you know, as we all know, purchase services, you know, the health of your community, you can impact the economic health and wellness of your community by using local suppliers, local and small business suppliers. And that's, you know, the area particularly that Conductive is focused in. So, you know, big question, but how can supply chain serve to, you know, enact these initiatives to make these um, organizations successful to move the needle, frankly, from where yeah. they are right now? Yeah, exactly. And that's what we do, right, is it's, it's impacting the health of communities. We support members who care about their communities. So, so we mm -hmm. really have to focus there. And, uh, and this is a, a great, you know, a great way for supply chain to be able to address those things. But first and foremost, I just wanna pause and say thank you to all of our supply chain leaders. Um, you know, it, it's so interesting, before the pandemic, you know, you only thought about supply chain when big issues happen, right? So I think supply chain is like the electric company of the world. Like nobody ever walks into their house at night, flips the switch on and says, oh my gosh, I should call my electric company and thank them because the lights came on. Nobody does that, right? And nobody calls up the supply chain folks and says thank you when they open their supply cabinet and what they need is right there. But let them open that supply cabinet and it's not there and they're gonna get a phone call. Same way when you walk into your house, you flip on the switch, the lights don't go on, the electric company is getting a phone call. So I just wanna say thank you to um, our, all of our supply chain professionals 
that um, that kept the lights on during COVID. You know, there's there's a lot of focus on a patient care and everything else, but sometimes it's the unsung heroes in the back too that need a little bit of a thank you as well. So thank you for being the electric wires in the wall and doing <laughs> what you do. Um, I, I will tell you, you know, again, kind of coming back to pandemic, but even even pre-pandemic, um, and you you mentioned it, is uh, is how we give back to the communities. And by, um, you know, supplier diversity is something that was always seemed like a nice to do, right? Like it was a social responsibility thing. Nobody was really looking at it. I will tell you, everybody is beginning to look at it now. And when you think about a hospital and the business, their business is to serve the community. So, you know, that's where their um, that's where their employees are coming from. That's where their patients are coming from. Guess what? If we're not engaging them in some way within, you know, partnership um, and bringing them in to do business with us and holding some of the larger suppliers responsible and accountable for working with some of those folks in your local communities, the community will turn on you very quickly. And interestingly enough, you know, um, there, there, there was a time, and there still is in some communities, where people said, I only have one hospital to go to, so that's the one I'm going to. A lot of hospital systems are finding now they have a competing hospital right next to them. And you know what? And customers are going to choose with their feet. Patients are customers too, and they're going to choose that way. And here in Charlotte, we have two major hospitals that are, you know, that compete for the same business, if you will. And it's really interesting, though. You know, hospitals are actually trying to keep customers out, right? But at the same time, they're competing against one another because they do want people to come in, and and preferably it's for, you know, uh, services that uh, that you know people want to go to the hospital for. Elective, right. Things, right? They don't want the ones that they need. They want the ones that they want. But, uh, but I think it's so important and it sends such a message to the community when we are holding ourselves and others accountable for how we drive socioeconomics back into the communities that we serve. So the points you raise are really important and I appreciate the way that you, you said them at all. I love, I'm sure that there will be supply chain leaders listening to this and then to say like, can, how do we start or how, how do we get better at discovering local and diverse businesses? Do you have some strategies you can suggest? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the first strategy is work with us. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we have Deborah Williams who leads all of our supply chain uh, or supplier diversity initiatives. And I, I will tell you, she is fantastic. She is just awesome to work with. And her and I have been partnering um, you know, to work with uh, with different um, um, hospitals to uh, to enhance their supply chain initiatives, and um, you know, there's there's new innovative things that are breaking that um, that Deborah is very capable of doing, including even taking a look at um, you know she does an AP scrub, so that you can you know in order to get better at something you have to know where you are, so you know we can help uh, not only identify. The, um, the premier spend, but we can go through uh, their, their AP and define if there are other uh, diverse suppliers working for the systems that they don't even know about. So we can help, their, help them put a stake in the sand. And then after that, we very strategically uh, start to take a look at uh, what's existing in your current community. So you know, we have a, a great map of who is working for who 
and who's working with some of the larger members. So we can identify if there are diverse networks that are working with your larger suppliers and, um, and show you how to connect with them. So I think, I think strategy number one is to talk to us and, and let us begin to start mapping out a strategy from where you are that allows you to show you, allows us to show you where we can go. Great, yeah, it's a big undertaking, but appreciate that there are these tools, both at Premier and Conductive to help identify things. And a lot of it is about partnerships with you know, small business associations in your community and you know, from the ground up as opposed from the top down, I, I think is really important. Um, so we've talked a bit about sourcing or finding new suppliers and diverse suppliers and local suppliers. Then the other, you know, part of it is the retention. Like, how do you build, you know, can we talk a little bit about building relationships with these suppliers so that they are successful? You know, it's mm -hmm. hard for small businesses to compete with the big guys. And we, especially at Conductive, are very concerned about that, trying to make it more equitable and inclusion from the beginning in sourcing, but also to not make the process so arduous that, you know, a small company has trouble doing the work and um, performing the, to the level. We want to nurture them. We want to encourage organizations to nurture them so they become from a small supplier to a very strategic um, supplier. Um, do you have some advice to talk about that, like some strategies or insights about that? Absolutely. And, and you mentioned a little bit of it. I, I think everything begins with true partnerships and relationships, right? And as human beings, we do know how to build relationships. It's about getting deep, getting to know one another, uh, figuring out what your history is, figuring out where you are currently, and what does your future look like, right? And starting conversations like that. But it is work. And, and, and it's dedicated, very intentional work to be able to build these partnerships. But there are opportunities like mentoring. You know, if a company is small and, and just starting out, um, we know enough of the larger companies that we can mentor and sponsor, you know, where you are, right? So our breakthroughs conference is a great opportunity for small and large organizations to be able to meet with one another and decide how they're going to partner in the future and, uh, and just create relationships like that. The other thing is innovative ideas, right? So, you know, there comes a time in every organization's um, path where they have to look at, uh, is it time for me to grow organically or is it time for me to grow by you know, par uh, partnership and acquisition? Um, mm -hmm. So how do we mentor through that? You know, where do we go in order to get funds? Can we sponsor you? Can we introduce you to organizations like the National Minority Supplier Development Council, which has you know, a number of different operations that they're national and they're local. There are local chapters. And how do you get engaged with that? You know, there's um, uh, smaller organizations like WeBank and um, mm -hmm. you know, that connect to, um, to women-owned businesses and so on. So, so mentoring, sponsorship, uh, building relationships, making introductions, um, you know, I, I think I think these are all of the things that can help, um, uh, you know, support these small and um, and diverse suppliers, um, so that they they have a leg up and they feel like they have a partner in the business. Yeah, absolutely, I agree. Um, to close this out, I have one more question to ask you. Um, sure. In the last few years, we've seen a really big cultural push. I mean, you alluded to this already 
really a consciousness for diversification in what we buy as consumers, you know, a desire to buy local, to buy, you know, from companies who we admire, to buy sustainable products is new. So more than ever before, you know, people, consumers are feeling, uh, I believe, a social responsibility to pay attention to where and from whom they buy products and services. So, Joe, what do you think? What social responsibility do our business, do businesses have, do our customers have to diversify and to build relationships with their suppliers to make this successful? Yeah, I think our members are very quickly um, learning how to spell uh, ESG, which is the mm -hmm. environmental, social, and governance responsibilities that are starting to be required by different organizations. And, you know, mm -hmm. everyone is watching, including now even Wall Street, right? So even Wall Street wants to know what is the diversified makeup of your board of directors. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so there's a lot of pressure, I think, that's coming from the outside and it's being driven um, by our communities. And, uh, and they want to see that, you know, that you are uh, a good social player uh, that environmentally, right? So, you know, uh, one of the things that um, you you know this, the building in Charlotte is a LEED certified building, right? So no matter where you are, start with thinking about, every, you know, each of the small ways um, that we can impact each one of those three areas, whether it be an environmental, social, or governance. You know, by the way, you know, um, Deborah Williams is also in charge of our, you know, environmentally friendly purchasing. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, so I think any opportunity that we have to not only do what's right for the community and share the story, but make sure that you're giving back and make sure that the, the words are, are meeting the actions, are meeting the behaviors, are meeting the outcomes for where we want to be. Beautiful, perfect. I think that's that's a great way to end our conversation. Uh, Joe, I can't thank you enough for your time and insights on today's episode. Uh, to learn more about Lumen, Conductive's recently launched DEI program that is bringing transparency and actionability to your supplier workforce and your diversity initiatives just launched, please visit conductive.com or follow us on LinkedIn. Thanks again, Joe. Have a great day. Thank Bye. you. Take care.